Hey, welcome everybody to Not So Famous Achievers. Weekly conversations with some of the world's most amazing but not so famous achievers on what they did and how they did it and what you can learn from their journey with your hosts, Will Christ and Robert White. Hey guys. Good morning to all or good afternoon or whenever you're listening to this. Uh, I'm delighted to be with my buddy, Will Christ and our very special guest, Steve Vinoy. I came back from Japan in 1986 after a 12-year stay, my first stay in Asia. And a friend called me and said, you got to meet this guy, Steve Vinoy, and he's up to something. And uh, is looking for, he was looking for funding for a business idea. And I listened to him. And I, it was actually at a time in my life when I was doing a lot of alternative type investments. And uh, but when I listened to him, I realized that I had absolutely no knowledge in the area that he was proposing. And I said no immediately. And uh, he looked kind of crushed, if I remember, because he's very excited about his idea, as we all are on new ideas. And I suddenly realized that I really liked this guy. And it wasn't about his business ideas, about who he was uh, as a uh, as a businessman, uh, but particularly as a, just as a man, as a parent and as a human being. And we got into a conversation that ended up in him doing our training. And then he got into the training business and far eclipsed me and uh, just did a fabulous job. <laughs> and. Along the way, and we're going to find out more about this later because we're going to talk some business first, but along the way, he published a, for a, a book and then later another book called The Ten Greatest Gifts I Give My Children, which I've I bought a lot of them. I've given them as gifts for many years. It is the single best book on parenting that I've ever read. And I mean that. I mean, it's not, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic here or something like that. This non-expert wrote the best book on parenting that I've ever read. And, well, Will knows, Paul knows, I have eight children. So a book on parenting is fairly important to me. <laughs> so to have Steve Benoit uh, here and tell us what he's up to more recently is an absolute delight. Steve, welcome. Why don't you tell us a little bit about you and what's, I don't know, we're just kind of looking at your journey. And also, I'm sure that Will has about a thousand questions, he always says. <laughs> and uh, uh, so what got you started on this journey in, in business? I mean, what was it that, that drove you initially? Wait, wait, time out for just a moment. Um, I won't take much time on this, but I'm curious about you guys. Why did you decide to start this show briefly? It was a guest on Will's uh, podcast, and I fell in love with him. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, I should have chosen a, a prettier girl, but I, I fell in love with Will. He's a he's an experienced guy again, just a great human being. He's got an incredibly rich background. He does some work that I admire with EOS, with Entrepreneurs Operating System, and uh, and that's one of my favorite books on business, by the way. And I, I, it's like a, almost like a Bible. I've referred to it so often. And he's an implementer with them, plus a rich sales training background. So he's, we've got all kinds of things in common. Will, you're the one yeah. that had this idea. Well, that's right. I mean, after we had a great conversation and, and we, 
you know, ran out of time, I said, let's do it again and and let's bring in our friends and let's have some great conversations. And, you know, so many podcasts uh, look for how many millions follow them and what are the most famous people that they can get on their podcast. And so we purposely have looked for achieving people who are not so famous because we have a lot better conversations with them. I certainly qualify for not so famous, but I'm not any big achiever either. Well, you're getting up every morning. You you obviously have a roof over your head. You've got somebody who loves you. You probably have a full refrigerator and you got somebody you love. Plus, it sounds to me like you're just busy because you got lots of purpose. That to me is an achievement. That's true. I'm, I'm just uh, halfway through the third draft of my latest book that I'm more excited about than any other book. So, Tell us, what is it about? Well, the first book was called The Ten Greatest Gifts I Give My Children. And there's been family books and leadership books in between. And the first one was by Simon & Schuster, so that really helped. And this new one is called The Ten Greatest Gifts I Give My Family. So it's mm-hmm. hang a book to the first book, but we've learned a lot in the last 30 years. And that first mm-hmm. book is still one of Simon & Schuster's best all-time selling parenting books. Yeah, so well, it, it, uh, it, absolutely, absolutely. And in our first session of EOS, which is a full-day session with the leadership team, uh, and and one of the things we do is we say, do you want to be your best as a leadership team? And then we say, and this is what that means. And the first step underneath that is be a great parent to your organization. That. And, and you know, and we say, what, what does that mean? Well, it, it, it means, you know, have, have a, a handful of rules, uh, repeat them often, and then walk the talk. And I'm going to, with your permission, I'm going to add the four, uh, I mean, the, the, I'm going to add those videos that you have. Uh, I'm going to add that kind of training so that we're talking about focus and listening. Those are the things that I think are really important, and, I, and I'm impressed. Good, good. Well, we have learned a lot in the last 30 years. So right. The new book is very interesting because it kind of wraps it up into one simple operating system. And what we've learned is it turns out that parents and grandparents, educators, if they simply use these five behaviors, every interaction, and you've mentioned some of them already, it's modeling good behavior, healthy messages, asking great questions, we call that the teach tool, listening deeply without advice or better interruptions, and focusing forward on strengths. If we simply do those five things, in every interaction, the kids grow up pretty whole and pretty healthy. So it's much like the five love languages. These are these this operating system that simply works to create healthy families. And you don't have to go out and memorize 200 techniques on how to trick the right. kid, fool the kids or something like that. And, and it's very simple. That will create a great business as well. Yes. Teaching the leaders to do that is significant. Yes. But then rolling that down through every level of the organization so that everybody is learning 
focus, message, teach, listen, modeling, all of those, then not only does it change the business, but of those 25 to 50 to 150 people, it changes their lives because they take that home. Yes. Well put. <laughs> Steve, uh, I recall a phone call from you after you attended our Vision Quest program a thousand years ago, where you asked me if you could use a little bit of the material in uh, a, a business you were starting. Can you tell us about, uh, and you went on to not only use it, but improve it, adapt it, add to it, and do so in a way that built a worldwide success story. Can we go back and talk about, it just seems to me there's these tremendous parallels between your development as a person, as a parent, and as a, a corporate leader. So how did that all come together for you? I'm sure it wasn't all smooth. Uh, I'm sure there were a few stumbles along the way. What happened after you started that, what originally a very small business, just you? You're right, many stumbles. And as you know, Robert, I had some really tough times living on a park bench. And boy, was that a big teacher. But I had <laughs> to get back with my kids. So I started to interview any parent or grandparent or teacher I could. And that's where I started to discover this pattern that about 10% of the families weren't having any big issues with disobedience or school or siblings fighting. And at first I thought it might be a genetic thing, looked a little closer, and it was that these, this 10% had learned to get way upstream and build healthy qualities and values in the first place, instead of always trying to fix problems downstream. And they learned that the more they tried to fix the liar or the selfish kid or the shy kid, they got worse. That the more they built healthy kids up front, most of their problems went away. So that was the foundation of that book and I just had a passion to get that message out and that's been my drive my whole life since then but what happened was is one time I was doing a session for parents and grandparents in Lincoln Nebraska this guy by the name of Skip Matson said this book has saved my family thank you do you have anything that can save our corporation Whoa! <laughs> it took me about five seconds and I said, yes. <laughs> so I called Robert and a few other people and started to put something together. I said, I'll be back in six weeks. And so that first program with that company, it was called Duncan Aviation, went well. We ended up working with them for years. And then that company uh -huh. grew like wildfire. And there's yeah. reasons why that company took off so fast. If you want to hear about them, I'll be glad to share them. Well, yes. One of them is that our, our um, facilitation style was probably more radical than any style you've seen as far as we didn't give any answers. <laughs> this way, we just asked questions and that way they owned it and they became yes. leaders. I know you guys all do that. And then the yeah. second thing that was really made us unique, and there's many, was we had the most distinctive follow-up process in the industry. We hung with them for six months weekly to make sure they were practicing the concepts, we were getting results, we were supporting them so deeply that now, years later, I get all kinds of calls and emails saying that it's the only training that has stuck with me, it's changed my life. So those are two things that made, made that company very distinctive. Great. And then, 
you uh, started climbing mountains and all kinds of stuff. But, you know, going back, and I, I, I want to really give you permission to not talk about something, and that is that I, well, I happen to know personally out of our relationship. There was a time for you post-divorce uh, and post-business failure before I met you where you, uh, and this came up for me because next month I'm sponsoring and helping out in a day, uh, a festival with lots of music, which you would appreciate, but also uh, a lot of information on suicide prevention. And I know that that during those really low days, that's something you considered. And it's always been an incredible story for me on how you process that and how you went back to your own values. Is there any of that that you that you feel comfortable sharing about? If it would be helpful to the show, you bet. You know, I made that classic mistake. When I was down and out, I had a certain park bench that was mine. And what did I do all day long on that bench? I ruminated about what an idiot I was and all the people. And how poorly I had felt, how bad I had felt. And so I got more and more depressed until finally on Christmas Eve, I still had my old shotgun from the farm. I had it loaded under the old mattress that I sometimes slept on in this trashed out basement. And it was going to be the last night. And I was on that park bench so dark and so depressed. It had gotten dark. It was starting to snow. It was very cold. I saw this man watching me maybe 60 feet away. I wondered why is he watching me so closely? He started to walk towards me. Now, I had been really embarrassed all over town and put down all over town. So I turned away. I didn't want to see anybody. But he came up beside me. He put his hand on my shoulder. He said, I know you've done some good things in the past. And I know you will again. I burst into tears. <laughs> I felt this incredible love from this man. I felt this feeling that maybe I was okay, that somebody still saw that good in me. And that was the moment things started to turn around. And I recall that there, that one part of your process was to reconnect with those Nebraska values and your parents' values and what you had drifted away from. And I, I've always felt that having that kind of uh, self-awareness and that willingness to con confront that and realize that you weren't living up to values that you knew were part of you. I, I thought that was so impressive. And this new book has been fun, Robert, because I have probably uh, 25 stories in there from the farm. <laughs> all great teaching stories about the farm in Nebraska. Process. I found out my papa was an even better man than I thought he was. Mm. It's been really a neat process. How cool! You know, it's one thing to have it's one thing to have an experience. It's much different to actually uh, learn from it to really get how it applies to your life right now. And 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 for that matter, in your case, you've been a genius at sharing it with uh, with others. Friends like you. I mean, how many cases of books did you buy? I think you personally made this a number one bestseller. <laughs> <laughs> uh, every friend, every friend that I have has two things. Uh, they can count on for me when they when they have children and I get to know them. They get a copy of of the greatest gifts and they get the, the link to John Denver's uh, song 
uh, about uh, about uh, having a baby. You know that uh, this, that incredible song that he sings. I watch you sleeping, and uh, uh, they all get that. It's automatic, and uh, uh, so there have been a few cases of books. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, go back to your story. Isn't isn't that so significant? that being told that you are cared about, that you're loved, that message, without that message, we wind up with prisons and suicides and and destruction and, and self-effacement. But just the simple message, uh, and sometimes it's at the right time, and sometimes it has to be repeated over and over again. But that message that you are loved uh, by me, by others, by God, by just you're cared for. That that to me is is that is what we do as as humans to each other. It's the biggest gift in the world. Well, I so agree. Uh, a friend of mine, Jennifer, is out in the L.A. area, and one week in a month, she volunteers between a prison and a homeless shelter, and her main job she, she just listens to them, and she says, huh? I "Haven't found anybody yet." that come, doesn't come alive when they are listened to and respected and honored this way. And she said, I guarantee you, 100% of these people would not be in prison or in the homeless shelter if they'd had that kind of love and respect and honoring at home. Yes, absolutely. And, and I mean, my, my wife in working in an outreach center in Riverside, California, discovered that the homeless folks, the recently uh, freed from prison, that many of those folks had never, ever had a birthday celebration. And, and so every month they would, I mean, they had cakes that were given to all this foods donated. And here's these cakes that were donated. So every month they have birthday parties for the folks who were born that month. And some of those folks literally cry because it is the first time that anyone has ever sung happy birthday to them or give them a cake. Just amazing, amazing. And we all know that the world and our country has some big issues. You know, how about some poverty and some uh, global warming? And I could go on and on. And we can't tackle those issues with just everyday average citizens. We need creative, confident, talented, dedicated people. And those people can only come from one place. Healthy families, like you're, mm -hmm. like you're explaining. At our nonprofit, we feel the number one thing we can do to build a better world by far is to build healthy, healthy families. In my work uh, mentoring executives, I find uh, two qualities that travel across the entire population of clients. Uh, number one is they don't feel heard. I'm talking about incredibly successful people. I mean, this conversation is about people that are homeless and and in prison. But the number one quality that I find with executives, they do not feel heard. They right. feel like that, that that they're speaking into some kind of a vacuum or a cloud right. in their life. And uh, the second thing is that they and it's it's less maybe let's say comfortable for them to share this, but they don't feel loved. And and uh, and that's got deep roots sometimes. Uh, whether it's your hand on the shoulder on the park bench or 
any kind of an opportunity to get a wake-up call and feel heard and feel loved. That creates a person that's better qualified, incredibly better qualified to, for the privilege of leadership. And when I think about uh, the issues that face our companies, our communities, our nation, the world, what's missing is a quality leadership. You've modeled that and your most recent, uh, I guess you got tired of climbing mountains. I'm not sure how that's all happened. I'm too old. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would do it. That would do it too. Uh, you know, I went through an experience. I, you know, I, you know, I retired to Aspen at 46. I, I, I skied 80 days a year and had a lot of fun. And, uh, uh, but I started waking up each morning with this thought that wouldn't go away. And I didn't want to think it, but it was right there most mornings that God had been preparing me for something that I hadn't done yet. And I'm just curious, is that how, I mean, you've taken on a huge challenge with the Greatest Gift Project. Why don't you, can you share about that transition for you in your non-retirement? Oh, sure. I'd be honored to. So. I sold Veris Global, my international consulting and training company, about eight years ago. And that, that company's now out there doing their own thing and doing well. And I just went off and you know traveled and climbed and sailed and all those things and had a great time. But there was something missing. There was a passion that keeps serving and making a difference. But now I could do it strictly for no money, just to uplift and to serve. Right. And then I was having dinner one night with a bunch of people from my old company, and we were all lamenting about the state of our world. We all kind of came up with the same conclusion that, wow, the only thing we can do to make the world better is to build stronger families. We all really got that almost at the same time. And then we, we looked at this book and we said, and, and people love this book and when they use it, it works. Families are strong and healthy. So let, maybe this book still has some life in it. It's over 30 years old, the first book. It's still one of Simon Schuster's biggest selling parenting books. And so at that moment, we decided to start this nonprofit to get the word out to millions, millions of people. We will be impacting over a million families a year deeply within another year. So, so we're pretty on fire about what's happening. It's, it, we already have a team of a hundred people and it's growing nicely. and. Uh, yeah, that, that's what we're all about. And I, I'm aware of this, but I, could you share with the audience how you're structured for that delivery to reach so many people? Yes, uh, there's many ways, but the number one way is in the next few years, we are licensing, training and certifying a thousand presenters that are really carefully trained and tested and certified. And they do these sessions like for Will's Church and for school districts and for uh, conferences. And they go out to the world and they do all these programs. We help them get booked, but it is their business. And uh, we take a small percentage of what they book and some of them volunteer their time, but they go out, whether it's 10 people at a church or a thousand people at a conference and they impact families. Then we support those families with all kinds of support systems like we always had at my own company to just make sure that those families get it deeper and deeper and deeper. I think it's about time for us to take a break, Will. It sounds to me like it is too. 
So if we can find Paul, <laughs> and we'll be right back with uh, <laughs> Steve Vinoy. Traction Tools is the EOS software for visual collaborative problem solvers like you. Built to manage each key component of your business, including vision and traction, data, people, meetings, and even process. The new digital whiteboard helps you illustrate, communicate, and work together throughout the decision-making process, and our new document drive makes file sharing even easier. So, if you want to save time and reduce repetitive tasks with easy automations, you really should take a look at Traction Tools and their EOS software. Sign up for a 30-day free trial at MyTractionTools.com. That's MyTractionTools.com. And now back to our show. You've got this army that you're creating of people out, out doing presentations. You've got a follow-up system for parents. Was there a question there? <laughs> there was an acknowledgement. And... Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I know you don't focus on being acknowledged. That's one thing I, I you're very, you, you acknowledge people all the time I've, and you accept it very uh, carefully, let us say. <laughs> you seem a little uncomfortable being told you're great. So tell me, Steve, tell me a little bit about what, when you talk about impacting the lives of a million families, talk to me about what that would look like. How will you know that you've done that? We do uh, ongoing surveys with these families, uh -huh. like stories, of course, as well. And we look at how long they're engaged and how deeply they're engaged. Uh -huh. The biggest difference is we see the peace and the joy in that family as they get out of the cycle of trying to fix things downstream, always putting out fires, and they get upstream building healthy kids in the first place, giving clear guidelines in the first place, building uh -huh. qualities and values in the first place, going way upstream, nurturing responsibility and self-reliance and honesty, then their family uh -huh. naturally becomes a lot more peaceful. And of course, right. these are the kids that then grow up and they do well in school. They don't get in trouble with the police. They don't go to prison. And they grow up and become productive members of society. So that's how we know it's working these become very healthy upstream families. So why why aren't we doing that now? Why have we not been doing that for the past 30 years? You know, there's that old model of, of trying to fix broken people. The more we try to fix broken people, they usually just become more broken. And there's the exact opposite model of helping people become more healthy. Uh-huh that most of the approaches are still based on how to fix broken people. And we're trying to radically and quickly change that. Yeah, it seems to me that as long as we focus on the broken part, that we just reinforce the broken part. That's right. And it's having the vision of where we want to be. That For me, that's not only families, that's, that's individuals, it's any organization. It's getting clear, first of all, who we are, where we want to go, and then how we're going to get there. Yes. And there's so many subtleties to this. For example, so many leaders have been taught to use the old reward and punishment technique. 
And it, it certainly makes sense. You know, I reward what I like and I punish what I don't like. But what happens if you use that, especially in a family, is kids' brains shut off. Somebody on the outside is always doing the controlling and the thinking. And so we grow kids that are irresponsible and so dependent on their parents and they're not ready for the real world. So in our sessions, people quickly understand that reward and punishment is not the way to do it. You go in there with these five tools and you nurture these core qualities and values so kids learn to think for themselves and they're independent and responsible. And you also go a step further. You take the time to set up clear guidelines up front. So you set kids up for success up front. Well, and, and, and uh, that's not only kids. Uh, yesterday I was on a, a, a phone call with maybe 30 or 40 of my fellow EOS implementers. And, and so often is the case, there'll be a story about, well, the business leadership team or somebody on the team came to me and said, here's the problem. How do we solve it? And the question on the, on the phone was, well, what, you know, what do I say to them? And I believe the answer is you ask the question, you first say, that's a great problem. How will you solve it? Yeah. Because if you give them the answer, you're telling them, you're communicating, you know, you're really not capable of solving this problem. And communicating that you believe that they can solve it, you're eager to hear their solution, it just changes the, the, uh, um, the agency that that person believes they have. Oh, do I agree. Robert and Will, sometimes when I'm doing sessions or talks, I'll ask the audience, how many of you woke up this morning and wanted to be average? And, <laughs> and, or, and then I'll ask, well, how many of you woke up this morning and wanted to be a jerk? No hands go up. Or how many of you woke up and wanted to hurt other people? No hands go up. And then I asked them, well, how many of you would like to do a good job today and maybe help somebody else and maybe make a difference? And every hand goes up. So I said, if that's true for you, what is true for everybody else out there? They're just like you and me. But if we treat them like you were just discussing, like they're a problem, like they need to be fixed, we're treating them like they're not that way, like they're a jerk. I've been asking two questions of audiences over the last few years. I've probably been in front of around 20,000 people in the last five years. And uh, the two questions, sometimes I ask one of them, sometimes both. And I do it after some kind of trust has been developed with the audience. Uh, you know, I found out that one good thing about gray hair is you can build trust a little bit faster. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or in, in Will's case, no hair. Uh, he builds a lot of trust very quickly. And, uh, but the two questions are, one is, uh, uh, how many of you have been betrayed uh, personally or in business? And 100, by the way, the answer to that, the survey of 20,000 people, 100% put their hands up. So there's a lot of pain out there and hurt uh, is my conclusion from that said in a simple way. The other question is how many of you are estranged from at least one family member, you know, essentially not in contact? And that answers 70%. So, you know, that's 14,000 out of 20,000 if we use some rough numbers. And this was all brought into vivid relief for me by a Facebook posting from a guy that's, you know, one of those friends that you've never met on Facebook. 
he did the most raw communication and it was incredibly well written he's actually a radio disc jockey he's a recovering alcoholic i think he's pretty good at being vulnerable which is you know something that a lot of executives and parents need to kind of work on in my experience but he had a problem that many of my clients are talking to me about which is what do you do with an older teenager or even a young adult where that work that you're promoting wasn't done in a timely way years ago perhaps but in any event it's blowing up on people now and i can't tell you the number of executives that have come to me with issues with teenagers and their young adults and that also includes me personally by the way but he wrote about a 14 year old in this giant fight that he got into and some decisions that he made about it and i didn't respond or anything i don't have that i don't feel like i have that kind of relationship and i didn't have anything to add because he finished it off by saying that the only thing he knew how to do at this point this broken relationship with his 14 year old that it erupted in anger and even violence the only thing he knew to, what to do is to go back to trying to be a better man but you know that's also a bit inadequate but for these people that have uh, that older teenager for the uh executives in our audience that are maybe struggling a bit with a young adult uh, where there's some estrangement perhaps is there some coaching that you can provide that might be of value to them and me by the way and me <laughs> there's so much i think the first thing is to start in here to really um forgive yourself for being I had to forgive myself for not always being a good parent and not, you know, not always doing the job I wanted to do so I could start a little bit fresh. And then I had to start seeing them with different eyes. I had to start seeing, without saying a word or anything, I had to see in their soul, see their goodness, their sacredness, uh, see them, see their strengths deep inside. So without doing anything with them, I've changed quite a bit between forgiving myself and seeing them differently. I know you know all about this stuff. Then, of course, it's magical when you can say, I'm sorry, and you can honestly, deeply, authentically apologize, and they may not hear that at first. And uh, they may have all kinds of issues and things that they should apologize for, but you're not expecting that at all. You're just apologizing for your part. And after doing that a few times, and there's usually a few times where you can listen and share, ask a few safe questions. It takes time. But the thing is, is that kids that age, they're craving authentic, loving, trusting, respecting, respectful relationships. They don't have them out there. They don't have safe places. So when they find that this is a safe place, and part of that safe place is giving clear guidelines on this is what's important to our family and here's why, kids start to thrive and come alive when they find that firm honest direct healthy place but it takes quite a few steps wow uh, well i can see why uh, a session at the church would be uh with one of well one I, of you know one of, one of the things that we're looking at right now is we're asking out of the 23,000 people that live in Laguna Beach, what are the top issues that they have? Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, Laguna Beach is an affluent area. Uh, generally, both parents are working. 
and they have high expectations. And number one, addressing the issue with those kids, uh, the parents of those kids. And then also, uh, in my mind, is moving just down the street to Santa Ana, which is primarily a, a Latino community, and Church of the Messiah is there. And, and being able to offer that to both an affluent community and to a community that's really the hard workers. I mean, these are the people that that are cleaning Disneyland. <laughs> these are yeah. the people that are cleaning the hotels and and offering the same kind of thing. To me, is that's exciting. It is, and isn't it interesting how all these different extremes need it just as much, but for different <laughs> reasons. The, the affluent families. They create all kinds of problems by trying to fix all their kids' problems, take care of everything up front, make sure that child has no pain. They acknowledge them day and night so the kids completely tune them out. They, they don't let them handle their own lives. The kids don't learn to think. They don't learn to be responsible. They don't learn anything. So sometimes kids are even worse off. Yes, with our children, uh, in in uh, uh, we have a boy and a girl and 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 now you know, we have great grandkids. So in talking with our kids about how they raise their children, it's so interesting. For our kids, when they got to be eight years old, we want to introduce them to Mr. Washing Machine, right? Mm-hmm. This is where you put your clothes, and this is how you wash them, and this is how you fold them. But our grandkids never learned how to wash their own clothes. Our kids are still washing their kids' clothes. It's amazing, just amazing. But it's, it's a different way of, of loving. You know, I'll take care of all these things for you versus how are you going to deal with these things on your own? What a difference. What you know, they, uh, we stress with corporations, or I do at least, in working with teams, that it isn't enough to just have a set of values on the wall or on your coffee cup or, you know, on the banners. Yet, uh, and I learned it from the 10 greatest gifts you give, I, I give my children, which is, uh, so, and Steve, this came up for me. I was, I was in a supermarket uh, maybe a month ago and, and uh, uh, a smart mom had about a five-year-old and she did what smart moms do, which is, this supermarket hands out these little fruit chewy things to kids when they come in, which keeps them busy for a while because all kids hate shopping. I mean, that's just a fact, right? They want to be somewhere else and doing something else. And uh, so clever on the part of the supermarket. But this little boy uh, uh, opened the wrapper and dropped it on the floor. And mom just spun around and with a big smile on her face and said, I'm sure you meant to pick that up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and the little boy just looked at her in a kind of a shocked way and then he said uh, and she said uh, uh, look uh, we're all in this world together and if everybody dropped a piece of litter that would be a problem we'd be living in trash That's good. right and she said and in our family we make sure to, to uh, you know she did the camping thing about not leaving any trash behind and connected that up to him you know how we when we go camping you remember how careful we are to leave it the way we found it and i i, I my mouth was hanging open and i thought she's read steve's book <laughs> <laughs> but it's the same thing in, in corporations that not only do you have those values on the coffee cup or wherever 
but you enforce them and you catch people doing it right. You catch people violating the value. You speak it. Well, first, you got to get to the walk, uh, you know, walk your talk level <laughs> yourself. But yes. secondly, that the, the way to work with values is to acknowledge when people are are demonstrating that they get it and also uh, to maintain them. You have to enforce them. You have to be the, the good cop in the matter. It's, a, it's an incredible tool. So, Steve, talk to me about, uh, you know, given what we hear about lots of minority issues around. I mean, my wife is a Native American, and so she's very much involved with Native American world reservations. She's right now up in Alaska working with uh, women from the Native villages. Have you noticed any difference uh, uh, in, in culture with regard to values and uh, uh, helping kids grow? Have you, uh, have you noticed anything about that? Yes. It would take too long to go into it now, but we adapt the sessions depending on the neighborhood and the culture and the income level. We make it available to every race, creed, religion, uh, income level, type of family, that, and every family needs it, but we do adapt it depending on that culture and that family. And you see success in a variety of places, a variety yes. of cultures. Yes. Well, first, uh, a simple question. Uh, do you have uh, a trained facilitator in uh, Southern California? Yes, we do. I did that for you, Will. <laughs> good, good, good. Excellent. Excellent. But if, uh, if our listeners and viewers uh, want to follow up, either because maybe they're interested in being a facilitator of these greatest gifts uh, programs, or either because they're interested in income or they're interested in giving back and playing that role, uh, or just getting trained as a facilitator by you would be a gift uh, that they could put into their business. If they want to contact you uh, and find out more and maybe get involved, how do they do that? There's one simple best way to do it. Go to 10, and that's one zero, 10greatestgifts.org. That's O-R-G. We're a nonprofit. And there it has infinite information as well as phone numbers and email addresses. And they'll find out how to be a presenter, how to apply as a trainer, how to apply as a coach, all the different ways we can team up and serve together. Is it, a, is it the best way to get uh, any of your books or would uh, Amazon and all those places be better? Amazon and those kind of places are even better for the books. Great. How long does it take to get certified as a, uh, as a facilitator? Not very long. We've worked very hard over the last couple of years to clean up and streamline that process and it's gotten extremely sharp. In about three and a half months, people will be out doing their first sessions. Yeah. Wow. So what's the difference in a trainer and a facilitator or a trainer and a, a presenter? Everybody has kind of a different definition. We're not quite facilitators where my old company, we simply asked the questions and they led the whole thing. We're not where we sit up there and lecture. We're kind of in between. We're presenters. We do tell lots of stories, but we also have wonderful interaction in small groups and lots of questions. So we call our people presenters. They present a very exciting program. Great. 
Great. Well, I look forward to talking with you more about this because I, I think there are a lot of people in Southern California who should be working these kinds of things. Are you thinking that you want to apply as a presenter? Well, I've been sitting here filling it out while I'm uh, while we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you that's what's nice about having two different two two different uh, two different display screens here, right? <laughs> well, Steve, I think that would be uh, really interesting. Steve, have you? Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the opportunity to share. And did you get your question answered about why Robert and Will are doing this together? I would like to hear a bit more about that. Tell <laughs> me the difference you want your show to make. Uh, we want people to learn from the experiences of others. Uh, uh, you know, the, there's a lot of language about the journey of life or the road of life. And, uh, you know, my friend, the late John Denver, wrote this great song called Sweet Surrender, which I know you're familiar with. And it has that line in it, lost and alone on a forgotten highway, traveled by many, remembered by few. Uh, Will and I uh, are doing what we can to get the stories out there so people do not feel alone that they know that others have traveled that road that includes some potholes, some twists and turns, but also some exhilarating straights where you can really hit 110 miles an hour, you know, and uh, that sharing those stories from people that have actually lived them, not the academic approach to the process of life, not even the, uh, uh, not even the philosophical one, but rather people's real stories well, well, I don't know if I, well, I rambled a bit well, there. No, no, I, I agree with you. And for me, talking about people who have achieved, and very often that means they've done the kind of thing you did. They built an organization or they built something and sold it. So now they have time, resources, and money. And sometimes they associate that with retirement and i i always tell people there is no such thing as retirement that was made up by the ford motor company back in the 30s <laughs> get that right it didn't work for ford and it's not going to work for you there's only two things it's either what is your next project or death and you get to choose i love that right and so so what that means is after you have achieved this great thing and others others applaud by throwing money at you, then you have time, money, and resources to do the real work, which is to work with other people, to solve problems. Because as an entrepreneur, our life is taking something and making it better, more value. And, 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 and so showing that to the world that this is the most exciting part of life is after you get through with the other stuff. I love that. I agree. By the way, Will, you talked earlier about people that feel listened to and loved and honored and the difference that makes if just one or two people do that. Yes. Robert did that for me. That for ah. I was in his office. I was more down and out than he even knows, and he kind of saved me that day. Yeah, you know that—that that is the biggest, the absolute biggest gift we can give to somebody is—is is actually listening to them and hearing them, and they believe that they were heard. So yeah. that's a great gift we can give to each other. This has been wonderful, Steve, and this is certainly not the. This is only the beginning of our conversation. Uh, I like that. 
Steve, thank you for being with us and uh, know that I'm not the only one that's praying for your good health. Thank you. It's getting stronger every day. You've got a lot to contribute and uh, it's it's a worthwhile prayer. Thank you very much. Thank you for thank you. part of this. Take care. Take care. Goodbye. Well, there you have it. Some fascinating conversations with some not-so-famous achievers. Right here in Orange County's only community radio station, OC Talk Radio. Not net. Streaming live from the Cove here at the University of California, Irvine, Beal Applied Innovation Center. 